First Kings chapter 18 and verse 37. I know you're standing. I'm going to uh, read just two verses in your hearing. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 37. Of course, we understand this is the prayer of Elijah as he challenged the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. He prayed this simple prayer in verse 37. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. How many of you know God likes to prove himself to his people? Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When the glory of God falls, it takes everything that has been offered as a sacrifice and consumes it. So we want to talk to you today about that glory fuel. What does the fuel what is that fuel that you and I can offer as a sacrifice that the glory of God feeds on? Let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the joy of the Lord that we feel in this house. What a privilege it is, God, to be in your presence. We ask you, Lord, that, that once again the glory of God would fill this house. Touch our hearts and our lives, Lord, as we offer up our sacrifice to you in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. As we talked last week about glory fuel, we established that the glory of God has a certain appetite. There are certain sacrifices that fuel the glory of God. Just like we see in the natural world, there are certain items that fuel a fire. Certain things that will cause a fire to become combustible and to become more explosive as it gains in strength. There are certain things that extinguishes fires, and there's other things that fuel a fire. Once we see that the Word of God has a pattern to it that explains to us that the fire consumes the sacrifice, and the glory of God follows the fire, we understand that there are certain sacrifices that fuel the glory of God. What does the glory of God respond to? What fuels it? What propels it? What causes it to fall? What does it feed on? What draws it? These are the questions that we consider as we look at our own lives and attempt to find how we can have the glory of God in every aspect of our life. How many of you can raise your hand today and say you want the glory of God in your home and you want the glory of God in your, in your, on your job and in your family and on everything that we touch. We want the glory of God to permeate every aspect. If it's possible for you and I to tap into this, then it's possible that the glory of God will fall in our car and our home and our job and the grocery store and Walgreens and Walmart or wherever we go. The glory of God, hallelujah, can come upon us. I'm thankful that we feel the glory of God when we come into the house of the Lord. And certainly it is special as we see as they dedicated that temple, that temple that was built for the glory of God in the Old Testament. And the glory of God did not disappoint them. But I'm also thankful that the glory of God is not confined to just this building or just to this space. But there is a God, hallelujah, that will send his glory with you wherever you may go, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what problems you may face, the glory of God will go with you. So last week, we only got to the first point in this service. We got to two points in the early service, but we only got to one point in the second service, and that was singing. We talked about how singing brings the glory of God, and the Lord prompted us to just offer up a sacrifice to him and not to ask him for anything, but to just glorify the Lord in song. And we felt the glory of God fill this house. Second Chronicles 7.1 describes that when the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle as they were dedicating it, said Solomon had made an end of praying. 
the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So we understand that not only is it singing that brings the glory of God, but it's praying. When you begin to pray, even though it is against your nature and my nature as human beings that are made of flesh, there is something that happens in the spirit world. When you and I start to dig a little deeper, when we start to move up the mountain, and when we begin to pray an intercessory prayer, when we begin to pray from the depths of our heart and our soul. There is a fire that begins to fill the upper room. The Bible said when they pray. The Bible tells us that the fire fell on Mount Carmel when Elijah prayed. The Bible tells us that when Solomon prayed, the fire fell. So wherever you look in the word of God, if you will listen to the prayer of God's people, you will find that the fire follows prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you today that we're never going to get so sophisticated in Pentecost that we're going to get beyond old-fashioned prayer. It's still going to take men and women that will bow their knee in humility and pray and say, God, hear our prayer. I want you to save my children. I want you to save my husband or my wife. I want you to save my friend. I've got to have a touch from God, and we are willing to pray. The Bible said the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. When we read about this prayer in 2 Chronicles 6.39, as they dedicated this temple, he said, as Solomon led the congregation in prayer, he said, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now, my God, let, I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord, God into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, when God's people begin to pray and say, God, we want to hear from heaven. We're not comfortable just going through the motion. We're not comfortable with church as usual. We're not just comfortable with the label of Christian over our life. But we are seeking you for a divine move of the Holy Ghost. And we will not be satisfied just playing church. We desire a supernatural move of the Spirit of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the fire of heaven will fall upon praying people. I've come today to declare to you that if you're being attacked, then that's a compliment from hell. That means that hell fears you. That means that you are stirring up the spirit world. Boy, you ought to bring a sacrifice of prayer and you ought to put it on the altar. Every time you come to the house of God, it ought not to be just to sing. It ought not to just be to, to see others uh, that we all love, but it ought to be God. Uh, I'm going to pray and I'm going to prepare, prepare a sacrifice so that when I get in your presence, it's not going to be wasted time. It's not going to be in vain. I'm not going to rely on the prayers of others. I'm not going to rely on the prayers of the prayer team or the altar team, but before I come to this place. I'm going to build up a sacrifice. I'm going to build an altar of prayer every day. Oh, every day that you live, you ought to build an altar of prayer unto God. The fire will consume the sacrifice of prayer. But it's more than just singing, and it's more than just praying. We also understand that the glory of God responds to giving, to sacrifice. Psalms 50 and verse 14 said, give an offering to show thanks to God. Give him what you promised. Second Corinthians 9, 11, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We also read as we go further in Deuteronomy 16 and 10 and 11, celebrate the harvest festival. Honor the Lord your God by bringing him a free will offering in proportion. Everybody say in proportion to the blessing that he has given you. You can't hardly be thankful 
for all that God has done without bringing an offering of thanksgiving. When you and I don't give freely of how God has blessed us, we are communicating to heaven that we are not thankful for what God has done. But when a man or a woman says, I'm so thankful, God, you bless my home, you bless my family, you bless my marriage, you bless my children, you bless me with a good job, you bless me with the opportunity to be in your house today. I'm going to communicate my appreciation by bringing a sacrifice. First Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 4. Then the king, this is when they were dedicating the temple. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. The king and all the people. Everybody say all the people. This wasn't just Solomon offering this. Everybody in the whole land was a part of this sacrifice. The king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen. 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Can you imagine 120,000 sheep? The ladies and gentlemen, this was the this is how they measured wealth in those days. They didn't have 401ks and IRAs and CDs and stocks and uh, no no, they had livestock, oxen and sheep. And they said there is no sacrifice that's too great for our God. I believe they put a decree out throughout all the land. Everybody bring your best lamb. Everybody bring your best oxen. Everybody bring whatever you got, bring it. We're going to dedicate the house of the Lord. And this is not going to be a spectator sport. Everybody's going to participate. We got modern day churches now that don't even want to pass the offering plate anymore because they don't want to offend nobody. Can I tell you something? I'm offended if we don't take up an offering. Don't you understand that's how God blesses his people whenever we obey biblical principle and we say, God, I'm going to give this sacrifice unto you. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't even know how I'm going to pay the PL this week. But i got a God in the palace and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed taken breath. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm thankful for the opportunity to worship God with giving. People say, I don't know how y'all, Pentecost, that first Pentecostal church is crazy. When they take up an offering, everybody claps. <laughs> Why do they do that? Because we're thankful for the opportunity to sacrifice unto the Lord. Now the fire gets hotter at this level because we're moving into sacrifice. There is a difference between sufficiency and abundance. Gratefulness brings sufficiency. But sacrifice brings abundance. If you just want your needs to be met, then you can be thankful. But if you want abundance, then you sacrifice. Because it's the sacrifice that brings the abundance of God. That's when the fire consumes the sacrifice. And you and I can just give, and sometimes we do. We just give. I was telling the, the service, the early service here at 8.30 this morning, I said, you know, when I was out there in Louisiana uh, a week or so ago now, their camp meeting, and I had gone out to eat with Brother Jerry Dean, who pastors in Bossier City, Louisiana. And he said, come on, Brother David, you, you and Sister Ann, we're going to take you guys out to eat. So we went out to eat, and he got to telling me about it. He's such a giver. There, Brother Dean and his church in Bossier City gave six over a half a million dollars last year to global missions in Bossier City, Louisiana. Over a half a million dollars. He's such a giver. We've done a lot of projects overseas together. He got to talking about, he wasn't even there to try to get an offering out of me. He was just talking about how God's doing this and God's doing that. And we're building a Bible school in Vietnam and, and we got this going. We're building a Bible school in India in honor of T.F. Tinney and we got this going on and that going on. And finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. I said, how much do you need? He said, well, we got, we need 10,000 to finish. And the guy we were eating with, he said, well, I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll give uh, 5,000. I think he said 5,000 or 6,000. I'll give 6,000. No, 5,000. He needed nine. And I said, well, I'll give the other 4,000. And uh, I mean, before I knew it, I had given $4,000. 
build a Bible school in, in Vietnam and, and to finish it off. And then they said, they got another one going in Bangladesh and all that. And he said, tonight we're going to take up an offer. And I'm believing the Lord is going to help us to raise $300,000 tonight. And I said, God bless you. I hope you can do it. <laughs> so Brother Dean got up that night at camp meeting and in Louisiana, he started saying, we're going to we're going to do this. And he started putting pictures all up on there. We're going to raise this. We're going to give this. We're gonna... And he pointed over there and said, Brother Myers has already given 4000 And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> he done shine a spotlight on. He said, I want you to put microphones down here. These ministers are going to start lining up. We're going to raise money. We're going to give to this and that. And he looked around and nobody was coming. He said, where's everybody at? And I was sitting over here next to Brother Anthony Mangan, who's another pastor in Louisiana. And... Uh, he gave even more than Jerry Dean. Between those two church, two churches in Louisiana, our church is like number six in the nation in giving to global missions. But two of the churches that are ahead of us are both in Louisiana. And between Alexandria, Louisiana, Brother Anthony Mangan pastors that, and Bossier City, where Brother Jerry Dean pastors, those two churches last year gave $1.4 million to global missions. I just love being around people like that. And he said, I can't, where's everybody? Nobody's giving. What's going on? What, all you people are supposed to line up. And Brother Anthony Mangan's over here and he goes, we don't know what we're giving to. What are we giving to? Brother Dean said, it don't matter what we're giving to. Just give. <laughs> he said, I can't believe this. I'm getting pitiful cooperation. No, I got to laugh because this, these guys are so much fun. So ministers started lining up. People started saying, I'll give 5,000. I'll give 10,000. I'll give 5,000. I'll give 10,000. People were just giving, giving, giving. And I couldn't believe it. I'm going to tell you something. When God's in it, it just keeps happening. And then this one man came up and he said, I'm going to give $1,500. And when he did, Brother Jerry Dean started crying. The next day when I went out to eat with him, I said, Brother Dean, how come when that man gave 1500 you started crying? I thought that was kind of low. Everybody else gave him 5000 10000 15000 20000 This man said, he said, I know that man. He said, that man's trying to start a church. He said, that man, he's working two jobs. He's doing everything he can to keep the lights on the little storefront they got to build a church. He said, I know him. He don't have $1,500. And he said, when he said, I'm going to give $1,500, he said, I had the microphone. And I almost said, no, brother, we're going to give to help you. You're not going to give. And he said, when I started doing it, the Lord stopped me and said, don't stop it because I'm fixing to consume the sacrifice with fire. Good God Almighty, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, I don't know about you, but I feel like God's wanting to bless somebody. God's looking for a sacrifice. He's got the fire of his glory that's going to come down and consume the sacrifice. But he needs to know, will you give him a sacrifice? Before that service was over, they had raised over $300,000 to go to Global Missions to take this gospel to the whole world. I'm thankful for our church. That is a giving church. I believe the glory of God is upon this place because of people that sacrificing Don't ever get stingy with God. Don't ever try to squeeze God. He will bless according to your sacrifice. Last week we had Florida camp. They asked me to take up the offer. I think it was on Thursday night. So I got up and I started telling them about how the Lord had convicted me and Bishop and I a few years ago. We were talking about this. We tried to, we opened our wallet. You know, when the offering goes around like it just did, how you reach in the wallet and you, you pull out something to give. Nowadays, you know, a generation following me, they don't carry cash anymore. They just give by tablet or text or whatever. But us old folks, we still give. U.S. currency. <laughs> so I, I open my wallet. I don't know if it's just habit or what, but I always pick out, you know, a $1 bill or a $5 bill, you know. And sometimes I'll get stuck. My lowest one's a $10 bill. I'll be like, oh, man, I got to get $10, you know. And one time I was doing this a few years ago, and the Lord said, how come you giving me the smallest bill in your wallet? And I was like, God, is that you or is that me or is that the devil? I didn't know who was talking to me. <laughs> and all, it had to be God because all of a sudden all these scriptures flooded my mind about the Old Testament, how they had to bring their best land. They couldn't bring some old busted up land that had been run over by a chariot wheel. They couldn't bring something that was half dead and all scraggly. They had to bring the best one they had. I can say it this way. They had to get the best bill they had in their wallet. 
So the Lord got put some on my heart and put on my dad's heart. And for the last several years, when the offering goes around, he and I take the biggest bill we've got in our wallet and put it in the offering. I was telling the camp about this, and I said, now how many of you are going to give the best bill you've got in your wallet? Hundreds of people there. About three or four hands went up. I said, well, let me tell you something. If you'll commit to give the biggest bill in your wallet every time the offering goes around, one or two things will happen. You either, number one, will, will start giving more, or number two, you'll carry a lot smaller bills when you go to the church. <laughs> Sister Richie, who keeps all the books, she said, Pastor, she said, I know you give a bunch of money in cash. She said, I can't give you a record. I don't have a record of all that because you just give in cash and you put in the offering. And she said, there's no way of us knowing. I said, but God knows. I said, God knows. I don't want to be guilty of saying, God, you've blessed me, but I'm going to give you some old beat up $1 bill. Oh, no, you can buy a lottery ticket for a dollar bill. No, when I come to the house of God, I want to give him the very best that I've got because I want to say, God, I want to exalt you with my giving. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if we will be givers and dedicate ourselves to give him the very best that we have. God will always honor it. Go ahead, Sister Shirley. God's going to honor that. I said, God's going to honor that. I said, God's going to honor that. It doesn't matter what you give to God. You say, oh, I don't have that much. But God knows when it's a sacrifice. God knows when you say, hey, I don't know where it's coming from. But I'm going to give God what I can. The fire consumes the sacrifice. Then we read in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 37, as we read in our text this morning, Elijah has called these prophets of Baal and prophets of the groves to Mount Carmel, which is the highest place in that whole area. You can see the valley of Armageddon to the left and the sea to your right as you stand on that, that great mountain. He said, we're going to get to the high ground. And he said, we're going to see what God answers by fire. And if you, if you get your God, prophets of Baal, to answer by fire, we'll all serve your God. But if the Jehovah God of Israel answers by fire, we're going to worship him. And the people had turned their back from God. They had turned, they started worshiping all these little Buddhas and Baals and all these little statues and stuff made out of man's hand. But the true living God, they had forsaken and God had pulled his blessing back, and he hadn't given them any water for nearly 40 days. I'm going to tell you what, folks, uh, you and I don't understand it, but God's good to us. All God has to do is withdraw his oxygen. You're so big and bad in all your good suits and clothes and your bank account. Let me tell you something. If God don't bless you, you don't have another 24 hours to live. You ought to spend every day that you've got breath in your lungs saying, Great is the Lord and greatly in it praise. Job said, Naked came I into this world. Naked I will return. But bless the Lord. Or you ought to get up every day and say, God, you've been good. I thank you for another day. Oh, these prophets of Baal, they all jumped around, carried on. They couldn't get their God to answer because their God doesn't have any power. He doesn't have ears to hear. He doesn't have an arm to stretch out to help his people. He can't do anything because he's not real. A figment of their imaginations. And they jumped around, did all their incantations. And Elijah's over there on the side saying, maybe he's asleep. You need to holler a little louder. Maybe he's on vacation. You say, he's just being obnoxious now. No, he wanted it to be clear. The power of God Almighty. There is none like unto him. I said, there is none like unto him. There's nobody like our God. He gave him the hottest time of the day. He didn't want anybody to think that the God of Israel that answered by fire was because of some fluke or some spark or some reflecting off somebody's mirror. He said, no, you take the best time. You take as long as you want. They jumped up and down. They cut themselves. They did everything they could to try to get their God to answer by fire. But their God was silent. You say, well, pastor, I'm not no Baal worshiper. No, but you may be worshiping something else. 
You may be worshiping a sports team. You may be worshiping a Hollywood star. You may be worshiping an alcohol bottle. You may be worshiping your pills to help you go to sleep. You may be worshiping something else. You ought to give it all up and say, God, here I am. I've come to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. There's nothing in this world that I need. None of those things are going to help me. i got to get a hold of the God that will answer thy fire. I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost on my life. I need the God that will respond with power and might. I need the God that controls the heavens. I can pour out the rain. And after they got all done and they're all exhausted, falling all out, finally Elijah said, clear them all out of here. And he started building his sacrifice. He brought the stones and the wood and the burnt offering. They were in a drought, but somehow he found 12 barrels of water and brought water and poured it. Oh my goodness, I can just see all those people salivating. They're all hadn't had water in 40, and they're seeing these barrels of water being poured out on the altar. Oh, it filled up the trench all the way around the altar. That's how much water just spilled over everything. Ooh, he said, this altar has got to have a sacrifice on it. And right now, the most valuable thing we've got is water. So we're going to give it unto God. We're going to give it unto the fire. And he prayed this simple prayer. Hear me, O Lord God. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire, everybody say the fire, of the Lord fell. Oh, he knew what fueled the glory of God. He knew what it would take for the glory of God to re- He knew what the appetite of the glory of God was. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water like a big old slurping machine. Licked up the water that was in the trench. Man, when God does it, look out. It's an all-consuming fire. Some people want to serve God, but they want to give him 5% of their life. And the other 95, they're going to keep doing their own thing. I'm going to tell you what, the God that you and I serve is a God that wants everything. He wants all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. If you're going to get the fire of heaven to fall, you better put everything on the altar. you got to say, God, it's all yours. Everything that I have came from you. I give it back to you. All in. I'm giving everything to God. But I want to show you in a couple of minutes I have with you what some of these things are that I believe is a principle that the glory of God still fuels on. The first one is wood. The Bible says that the fire consumed the wood. What is the significance of wood? First Kings 6, we see that Solomon built the house or the temple and he finished it, built it with cedar walls, the interior boards of cedar the floor of the house to the rafters of the ceiling cedar wood overlaid the interior with wood and the house with boards of cedar you go through all of this it talks about how he built this temple and how it had all of this wood it wasn't just wood it was the very best wood that they had it was the very best that man could offer they got the cedars from out of Lebanon and floated them down and they built everything out here, carved it all, had wood carvings in the shape of gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar. No stone was visible. Then he prepared the Holy of Holies within the house in order to put the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy of Holies was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in width, 20 cubits in height. It was literally a cube and he overlaid it with pure gold and he overlaid the cedar altar with gold and he overlaid the interior of the house with gold and he drew chains of gold across the front of the holy of holy overlaid it with gold he overlaid the entire house with gold until the whole house was finished and then he overlaid the entire altar of incense with gold that was built by cypress wood he mentions cedar or cypress seven times in eight verses and i asked myself why wood why did they build this temple with wood One of the first times we see wood mentioned in the Word of God, we understand that it relates to that tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve partook of. It represented that that caused them to fall. Not only did they commit sin, but making all people born after them sinners. So that the Bible says we are all born in sin. 
and shapen in iniquity. Why? Because of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, taken of the fruit of that tree. That's the first place we see that wood was a part of the tree, that was a part of the temptation, that was a part of the fall of man. But wood would not be finished with its work there because then just a, not too far into the future, we see that 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 saved Noah and his family was gopher wood. The ark that saved them from the destruction of all mankind. It was the wood that made that ark that was pitched and that sealed it from the waters. But it was all made out of gopher wood. It was made from that wood. And then that leads us to other passages of wood where we see that the Ark of the Covenant was constructed of wood and overlaid with gold. And the Ark of the Covenant was made in the desert as Moses was instructed. But it was to contain the law. And the Bible says that the law brought death. It contained the law. And the writers of the New Testament made it clear that the law alone condemned us. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 says... It was the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. It was that law that was held inside of a wooden ark that represents that that condemns us all. But ladies and gentlemen, once again, wood was not finished with just the Ark of the Covenant because now as we go forward, we see that Jesus Christ, as he hung on Calvary, he hung on wood. He was there on a cross, cut and carved out of a tree. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that when you look at wood throughout the Word of God, you'll see that it represents the transforming power of God. It represents the very best that man can do, but even with the very best that you and I can do we come up short we've got to have God we've got to have the salvation of God's holy power and presence to take the very best that we have and to convert it into salvation if I can be more specific today it represents repentance so that you and I can understand this that the glory of God responds to humility it responds to repentance because wood, no matter how nice it is, the cedars of Lebanon, it's still wood. Solomon said we're going to overlay it with gold because the very best that man can do still comes short of the very least that God can do. This is why I believe the Bible says that the streets of gold in heaven are going to be made out of gold. Those streets are made out of gold because it's the very base of what God is capable of doing. We're going to walk on streets of gold in heaven. That that we think is so precious is the very base of God's excellent nature. So that when they built that ark, when they built that temple, they took all the best wood they could put and they brought it all together and they carved everything that they could, but then they overlaid it with gold. Ladies and gentlemen, you can do the very best that you can do, but at some point you got to bring it to an altar and say, now God, through the power of transformation, I need you to put your Shekinah glory. I need the holy power of God to saturate. I'm doing the best I can in my home. I'm doing the best I can as a parent. I'm doing the best I can as a spouse. I'm doing the best I can on my job, but I need the gold. I need the glory. I need the power. I need the supernatural demonstration of your spirit to overlay my beauty efforts. God in his infinite wisdom can turn bad into good so that when the redeemed, you and I, those of us that were lost, those that were sinners, those that were condemned by the law, are granted a second chance through the salvation of the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, this declaration fuels the glory of God so that when you sing, when you pray, when you give, when you come to church, when you get up in the morning, you ought to thank God. Thank you, Lord, for saving me because that fuels the glory of God. I thank you, Lord, for Calvary. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful that as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. You're coming back for your people, and I thank you for it. Oh, my friend, when you declare that, you're fueling the glory of God. When you begin to declare, God, I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I'm not worthy of your presence. I'm not worthy of your glory. I'm not worthy of your God. But I thank you for it, Lord. The glory of God is fueled by that. 
Oh, you ought to spend 30 seconds right now and thank God for salvation. Would you lift your hands and your voice? Come on, spend 30 seconds right now. It'll fuel the glory of God. Thank you for saving me, God. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, God, but I thank you for it. I humble myself before you, Lord. I'm asking you, God, to consume this sacrifice. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me of every sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart right now, God. Save me with your spirit and with your word. Jesus. 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 God, I'm asking you every day to remind us that we are blessed because we've been redeemed by your blood. I'm asking you, God, every day to remind us that there's power in Calvary. It is that that you did on Calvary that breaks the back of sin in our lives. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your word. I feel some people putting some wood up there on the altar right now. Even if it's little pieces of wood, just go ahead and put it on the altar. I'm putting a little bit of wood up there. I, I, I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm going to put a little bit of wood. Even if I got to find a sticker, I got to find some embers. I'm going to put it up on the altar. And I'm going to take every day that I live and say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. Aren't you thankful for what God is doing in our lives? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Let me quickly hurry. Stones is the next thing. The Bible said the fire consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the wood and then the stones. What do the stones represent? Stones throughout the Word of God have signified truth for the reason that the boundaries of the most ancient people were marked off by stones and that they set up stones as witnesses that the case was solved or concluded or that it was true. They would set up stones to mark a defining moment as witnesses to mark this spot. This is what happened. And these stones represent a marker of truth. It's evident from the stone that Jacob set up for a pillar in Genesis 28. And from the pillar of stones between Laban and Jacob in Genesis 31. And from the altar that was built by the sons of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh near the Jordan as a witness in Joshua 22. Therefore, in the word, we see it over and over. Truths are signified by stones in so much that not only by the stones of the altar, but also by the precious stones that were upon the shoulder of Aaron's ephod and upon the breastplate of judgment. They were signified by holy truths as a part of the vesture of the priest's garment. Suffice it all to say that it was incumbent upon the priest to be robed in truth. Can I tell you today that is it incumbent upon every minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be robed in truth. We ought to be proclaimers of truth. We ought not to just be proclaimers of stories that we hear. We ought not to just be proclaimers of things we read on the earth. We ought to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to proclaim that you must repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because we're putting stones on the altar. We're establishing truth of God's word. Somebody say, oh, preacher, don't tell me that. I need you to give me a one-size-fits-all gospel. No, we got to set up some stones because that's what the fire consumes. We got to set up some truths that are unchanging. It doesn't matter whether it's popular or not. 
the truth of what it takes to be saved has not changed, folks. It's still the same. He's a God of the same yesterday, today, and forever. And ladies and gentlemen, the glory of God is found where truth is being preached. All churches are not equal. Somebody say, what does it matter if I go to First Pentecost or go somewhere else down the street? I'll tell you why. you got to go where truth is being proclaimed. Not who has the best light show. Not who has the best sounds. Not who's got the best flowers in the parking lot. It's about proclaiming the truth of God's word. Because the fire falls where truth is being <laughs> not enough to just have truth you have to have truth being declared the appetite of the fire is the stones of truth when jesus was coming in jerusalem the pharisees tried to stop all the people in the streets from worshiping shouting hosanna waving palm branches jesus you ought to be ashamed of yourself allowing all this praise to come up from these people he said if you stop them the very stones will cry good God almighty there's a declaration that truth is always going to have a voice truth is always going to have a voice truth is always going to have a voice if you and I quit living by truth if I quit declaring the truth can I tell you that God's going to raise up a people somewhere if he's going to raise up the stones in the ground there's going to be somebody that proclaims truth what are you doing preacher we're putting stones up on the altar kind of stuff the stones of truth receiving the holy ghost is not some extra bonus round you must be filled with the spirit of god and the evidence of that is when you speak in other tongues it's not extended play for good behavior it's not just some bonus round if you're really hungry for god the bible said if you have not the spirit of christ you're none of his so i'm gonna lay up a stone today and i'm gonna say you gotta be filled with the spirit of god You've got to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. It's the initial evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. You and I will establish some determinations and disciplines in our life to say, I'm going to pursue truth. I don't care how inconvenient it is, I don't care if I've got to change my lifestyle. I don't care if I got to change the way I dress or where I go or who I hang out with. I'm going to put up some stones because the fire is going to consume the stone. I'm going to put up some markers in my life. I'm going to put up some ancient landmarks and I'm not going to move even when things are not going good. Even when I'm mad at the church or the pastor or my best friend that I share a pew with. I'm not going to remove the stones from off the altar because I've got to have the fire of God in my life. First Peter 2 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones. Everybody say, lively stones. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're looking a little dead right now, but you're a lively stone. <laughs> See, we want the glory of God, but we don't want to put no effort into it. God, I'm a little bit tired. I just like if you're fired, just come over here and pick me up. <laughs> I just need that fire, that chariot of fire to come and pick me up like it did Elijah. The chariot of fire only came to get Elijah because Elijah called fire down from heaven. Come on, you want God to lift you up, lift me up above the shaft. You want God to lift you up out of your problem. You're going to have to pray down the fire. You're going to have to build an altar of sacrifice if you want the fire to fall. If you want a supernatural demonstration of the power of God, there's going to be somebody that's going to be apostolic. Can I just say this for what it's worth? we got to be apostolic in lifestyle. 
Everybody wants the fire, but nobody wants to live a holiness life. Everybody wants the fire. They think they can generate it with bands. They think they can generate it with big screens. They think they can generate it with programs. You can't generate it with nothing except an altar of truth and sacrifice. That says, God, whatever it takes, I'm willing to give a sacrifice unto you. Lively stones. Ooh, that's the combination of truth and passion. Not just knowing truth, but declaring truth. As lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable. That's the glory fuel. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Elect. You see, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He personified truth. He's the chief cornerstone. You can't come to salvation except through Jesus Christ. Said, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. It don't matter whether you believe in Jesus or not. He's still truth. He's still the way. He's still God manifest in the flesh. He's not Jehovah Junior. He's not one of some three triune nature of God. He is God in flesh. Hereby the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. There is a stone. There is a cheap corner stone. So when you declare the name of Jesus, you are offering up a truth of God and the truth of his word into the atmosphere that the fuel of God's glory is drawn to. So that when you just say, Jesus, God, you can feel the glory of his. You ought to practice this right now. You can stand to your feet. I want you to know I'm getting close. I want to give you some hope. When you say, Jesus, you're putting up the stone on that altar. Everybody in this building just said, Jesus, as loud as you could. just by declaring his name we're declaring that there is only one God that all my help and all of my strength is all in Jesus that's why when you begin to believe God for something impossible you're putting a sacrifice on the altar that's why God is drawn to faith. I believe God can do something right now this morning that I've been praying about for 30 years. You begin to believe God for the impossible. In Israel, there are no flowers on the graves. There are only stones. When you walk through their cemeteries, and you see tomb after tomb after tomb. They got stones on top of them. They'll put a picture up here in a minute. And on top of all of those tombs are stones. Because on those stones, on top of those graves, it represents the truth. We believe that one day our Savior's coming. And when he comes back, he's going to resurrect my loved one. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm going to put a marker on this grave. This is not the final chapter. One day there's coming a Savior. Because all of those graves are facing the eastern gate of that temple. One day our Savior is going to come through that eastern gate. And when he does, these graves are going to bust out. So until 
until that day, we're going to put some stones on this grave. Good God Almighty, I feel like God's calling this church right now to put some stones on top of something that the devil has convinced you are dead prayers that'll never be answered. But you're going to raise up a marker this morning and say, I still believe that God is going to hear my prayer. And the fire of God's glory is going to consume stones that are on this altar. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I believe that my God is able, that one day my God is coming back. I believe the truth of God's word. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that God's going to hear my prayer and the glory of God is going to fall one more time. So I ask you today, is there anybody that will put some stones on the altar this morning? Will you make a determination, no matter what may come or go, no matter what stormy, uncertain times I'm facing right now, I'm going to put some stone on the altar. Come on, I'm going to put some wood on the altar. I'm going to give God my very best today. I'm going to give him my very best. We sang and shouted and glorified God last week. But now God is saying, come on, apostolics. Come on, those of you that know the power of the name of Jesus. Come on, you Pentecostals and Pompeii. There is a God that's got fire from heaven. Will you build an altar today? I want you to come down to this altar, every one of you, as lively stones. I want you to come down to this place. I want you to lift your hands, and I want you to lift your voice. And I want you to begin to declare the promises and the principles of God's Word. Come on, with your praise, with your sacrifice, with your declaration of truth. You can build an altar today that will fuel the glory of God. I'm going to serve you, God. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I will bless the Lord. And all.